talk to you this morning about a son not sparing. There was a day when heaven withheld nothing, a son not sparing. Have you ever bought into the lie that God has withheld something good from you? Or how, let's say this way, how do you know that God is for you? Have you ever felt like God was not giving you everything you needed or you wanted and you came to that moment where you're like, God, I'm kind of questioning your motives here. Like I'm praying and I'm not feeling like I'm getting anything or I have a question or an answer. I need you to move in this situation. And you, you really begin to doubt, maybe I'm not right with God or maybe God's not really for me. Has God ever withheld any good thing from you? How do you believe God will provide all you need? Well, let me tell you a story. There was an extremely wealthy man a long time ago, and he had a favored first son, his only son. And he was a wealthy man. He had all kinds of art and collecting items and great paintings of great artists from way back when, and he was a collector of such items. And, but one day his son came ill and passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. And it wasn't but a few weeks people said that even the father had become a recluse and he'd, he'd even died himself just a few weeks later of some said sorrow, that his heart couldn't just take what he had lost in his son. So the lawyers came and got out the will. And the will said, because he's got a lot of estate, that uh, they would auction off all the paintings and all the sculptures and all the artists. But when they would do that, they would first auction off a painting that he cherished most, an oil painting of his son. It wasn't the greatest painting, but it was his favorite. And so the auction came by. Tons of people showed up to, to bid on this man's wealthy estate. All kinds of collectors and art connoisseurs and things came to uh, bid. And as the beginning began, they put up the son's painting first. Well, as the auctioneer started, moments went by. No one really began to bid because nobody really cared about this painting for the son. It wasn't much to look at, and they were interested in all the there are valuable hundreds of thousands of dollars of paintings to come and got quite quiet and awkward and nobody was bidding. And so in the back was one of the man's servants, an old servant who'd worked in the estate for years. And he uh, loved the son. He was kind of the, the nanny to the boy. And he didn't have any money, so he pulled out just whatever few dollars he had in his pocket and he bid that. And nobody bid, so the painting sold. And all of a sudden, the auctioneer closed the bid. He closed the bid, and everyone's like, he said, bidding is now closed on all items, everything's done. Because the father, in his will, had stated that whoever loved the son enough to buy the painting, to bid on the painting, received all that the father had. Do you know if you love the son, you'll receive all that the father has? If you behold Jesus, the father withholds no good thing from you. If you get in love with Jesus, everything the Father has will be yours. And that's really what I want to talk to you this morning about. The love for the Son grants you everything the Father has. And God withholds no good thing from those who behold His Son. So, you know, I'm, I'm teaching my kids, they're younger, and so I am... Uh, I believe in, you know, hey, if I say it, that settles it. I believe in that, that idea as a parent, my authority and my word. But I also know that as a parent, I don't want to just teach my kids what to do and not to do, but why? Why do we treat other people this way? Don't just do this because I said it. I believe you should do that. But also the why, because here's what I believe. If I can tell them the why, 
They'll figure out the different what's in every different type of scenario, right? I can't just say this is how we do this in this way all the time. But if they know the why dad believes we should do that, how to treat other people, the character, the integrity, it will kind of the what's will begin to figure itself out as they navigate a life of unforeseen circumstances. So why do we do these things? You know, Christianity in very much the same way is not about the what's as much as the why. For instance, what do you do to be a Christian is not about going to church, paying your tithes, attendance, praying, reading your Bible. Those are the what's, but the why. Why do you do those things? Or for instance, it's not what you can get from God, like God's going to bless you and heal you or give you streets of gold. It's not about the what's. Again, it's always about the why. And the why is the worth of the Son. The why is the worth of the Son. For instance, why do we pray? Why do we praise? Why do you sing? Why do you doubt? Why do some people feel like dancing when they worship God? Why do you uh, serve? Why do we sacrifice? Why do we give? Why do we go? It's the why. It is the worth of Jesus Christ. It's our love for the Son. It's our love for the Son. It's not about getting the art in the back room. It's about getting Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you get everything that comes behind Jesus. Are you with me? Everything becomes, it's about the worth of the Son. Not about what God is going to give you or what God can do for you, but it's the why He gave His Son for you. And if you can get the why of Christianity, the what's will come after. And you'll receive all that God has, and you'll watch God do some amazing things. But the why is the worth of Jesus. Our worship, our works are based on His worth. Somebody say amen. The reason you come here and cook some pancakes, the reason we're door greeters, the reason we're giving to put people up in hotels, the reason we give to school backpacks and Christmas drives, the reason we give to world missions is not about the what, it's about the who and the why. That Jesus gave His life for us, and it's the worth of His sacrifice. It's the worth, it's the why. Jesus is always worthy. If we behold the Son... God withholds no good thing. The problem is sometimes we can go into this religious routine. Uh, our worship begins to lack emotion. Our prayer begins to lack depth. We begin to give to get sometimes. We don't even know it. But sometimes you give. You say, well, God, at least I was given. You know, you kind of give and unintentionally thinking you're going to get. Well, God, you should bless me because you know I've been faithful. Is that why we give? We start giving to get. Our serving becomes work. Well, the pastor should appreciate me because I'm one of those people that always show up. He didn't even call me. Are you serving because of me? Are you giving because you think this church is going to do something for you? It's not about the what. It's about the why. Jesus is always worthy. And he's always worth it. He's always worthy. He's always worth it. You see, if you don't spend time beholding the Son... You'll start believing that God is withholding things from you. Let me give you an example. If I don't believe that God is doing good things for me, I will start trying to find those good things on my own. I'll try to find, if I don't find the pleasure in God alone, I'll start trying to find pleasure in this earthly stuff. I'll start trying to find pleasure in entertainment and relationship. I'll try to find pleasure in comfort and rest and relaxation and vacations. I'll try to find pleasure in money and attainment. If I don't find the power and authority that my soul longs for in God, I'll find it in my workplace and how many employees I have and how much money I have in my bank, how much authority I can have over my family or over people around me. If, if it's not pleasure or power, maybe it's purpose. If you don't find your purpose in the good things God can give you, then you'll start finding your purpose in things around this world. Look at the world today. 
mistake, looking for purpose in all the wrong places. And every good thing, the Bible says, comes from God. But if you don't find that good thing in God, you'll find that thing somewhere else. And if I believe God isn't good enough, and if I believe God isn't giving enough, I'll find that thing somewhere else. But if you behold the Son, if you keep worshiping Jesus and beholding that painting of that Son, if you, all you can do, whatever I've got in my pocket to grab that painting, every good thing God never withholds from people who possess His Son. Behold the Son, God withholds no good thing. Look at me in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I had one goal on this message today as I thought about it all week, is that for me, I want to be wowed again and again on the worth of Jesus. I want to be, every time I think about what he did for me, I want to be just, oh my gosh, amazed. But you know, if you're in this thing a long time, like I've been, it kind of gets, good news can become old news. The wow factor disappears. Kind of like your relationship in your marriage. You kind of have to keep that spark alive. Wow, can't believe this person's still with me after all these years, right? Wow, you go back to that first love. And that's what I want to do today. Romans 8, 32. Parents, how much, how many things would you ever have to give up before you gave up your kid? Think about it. How many things would you ever have to give up to get to before you decided to give up your kid? Now, if you're a grandparent, that might be easy because it's the grandkids. You know, like you'll give up your kids to keep your grandkids. But for a parent, your house burns down. You'll give up everything in that house so long as your kids are alive, right? Are there parenting classes in here? Y'all good? Okay, just making sure. Your house burns down. You will be ecstatic that at least you have your children. And they are the most important thing you have. Look in Romans 8.32. There was a day when heaven held back nothing. There was a day when heaven gave all that it had. There was a day when there was nothing in heaven for you. That thing was here on the earth. There was a day heaven held nothing back. In Romans 8.32, Paul writes, he says, He who did not spare, somebody say spare. spare. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Somebody say all. 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 How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Say it again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give all things? There was a Methodist ministry uh, leader, a, a missionary from the Salvation Army, and from Britain, a uh, Methodist guy, and his name was Stuart Hines. And uh, in the, the, uh, the Russian-Soviet times, right, so like in the 1930s, um, prior to the World War II, he went overseas to Russia, which is modern-day Ukraine now in this place. And he was there on assignment. And as he went to these houses, there were people who had received the Bible in Russian and were converting. And he happened to go up next to a house, and he heard in this house people who were praying the prayer of faith to get saved, right? Like what we would pray. But it was in Russian. And he just began to, he didn't want to interrupt, so he began to stand outside the house and just listen to their prayers, and as he listened to their prayers, he was so moved by what they were praying and how wild they were at beholding the sun. He wrote down and penned their prayer in a poetic form. See if you can find out where it's from. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in 
that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. How many know that's from the great hymn, How Great Thou Art? It's the third verse. When I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. From Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where we're at. When I think about it, I scarce can take it in. And that's what these Christians who were converting in Soviet Russia, communist Russia, were praying. They were praying in their own language. I can't believe that God would send his son to die for me. I scarce can take it in that on cross on Calvary he bled, he died for me to take away my sin. And that verse should wow us. It should be that when you behold the son, you scarce can take it in what he's done for you. This morning, I just want to give you the gospel. Can I do that? Can I just preach a gospel message? You see, God has not spared anything from you because he did not spare anything for you. God did not spare anything from you. He's not spared anything from you because he did not spare anything for you. I want you to think about that. He hasn't spared anything from you because he didn't spare anything for you. There was a day heaven emptied itself for you. And that is called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, let me give you seven quick things. Number one, God has never withheld himself from us. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our own image. And the Bible says, in the likeness of man he made them, both male and female he made them. And there was a moment in Genesis chapter 2 where he took Adam and, even, or Adam and he breathed life into him. And it said that Adam became a living soul. What was God doing? He said, let us, and we believe there is one God, but he manifests in a three, three persons, let's say, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's one God, only one God. But what God was doing in his perfect union within himself, God's big. He said, let us invite man into the perfect love. The Father loves the Son perfectly. The Son loves the Spirit perfectly. The Spirit loves the Son perfectly. All three, one God, in perfect love. God is love. And in that love, God said, let's invite man into this perfect love. God was interested, not in angels, not in any other animal he could ever create. He said, let us invite man into this perfect union of love. And man became a living soul and walked with God and talked with God in the cool of the day. And God embraced man. And man had a special place in union with God, in perfect love with God. God has never withheld himself from man. He has always given all of himself to man. And he gave himself to us. And that's the first start. Number two, but we know we fell into judgment. There was a day we were tempted by Satan. We began to distrust God's word. And Satan comes to us and says, don't you think you can find purpose outside of God's word? Don't you think you can find pleasure? Look, Eve, it's ooh, ah, wow. Don't you think you can find pleasure outside of God's word? Oh, and by the way, don't you think you can find power outside of God's word? You'll be just like God. You can find pleasure and purpose and power all outside of God's Word because God, you shouldn't think that maybe God has withheld something from you. Oh, maybe He withheld something from you. You should go try on your own to find out what God withheld from you. But God had never withheld anything from us. And so Satan, you know the story? They eat, they partake, and what happens? They're cast out away from God's presence. Man, by voluntary transgression, fell. 
We fell separate from God, cursed to an eternity without God, which is a place called hell, a lake of fire with weeping and gnashing of teeth, burning with Satan, and all it was made for Satan, his creation, all of his followers. And that's where we were destined to go. Destined to go separate from God. We fell into judgment. If you don't believe me, think about what Peter said in chapter 2, verse 4. He said, God didn't even spare the angels. You think you're going to escape this? God didn't even spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And He didn't even spare the ancient world with Noah, but He preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and He brought them through the flood while He killed the world of the ungodly. Oh, and don't forget, He also condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, making them to ash. He made them an example for every person so they would know, we have fallen and you can't get up. That's an example. You could know, look at the Bible. He said, this is all done so you'll understand. There is judgment for sin and separation from God. But here's the cool part. Number three, God has always made a promise to cover us. He's made a promise to cover us. Look in Genesis 3, 21. We've got it on the screen. God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. From the very beginning, God has always taken the responsibility to cover man's mistakes. Parents, your mom, your mom and dad, when your kid makes a mistake, you have to let them deal with it. But what happens, you're, you're going to be there to be with them through that mistake, to protect them even though they make a mistake as best you can. And God always covered us from the very beginning, even after we fell. God made the first sacrifice. The Bible says in Hebrews that all things must be cleansed with blood. Without the forgiveness of, there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And it was a life for a life. And God began this first covenant a first work. You know, when you go to, if you die, they say your last will and testament, right? Testaments are only made when something dies or someone dies. We have an Old Testament and New Testament. Last will and testament. And that testament was made at the death of an animal. And it was made with the blood of an innocent animal. But that animal blood only could tone for our sin just for a short time. Because it was really the lifeblood of a perfect man named Adam that had to die. Perfect, sinless, spotless. But nothing was that to degree. All men had fallen short of the glory of God. There was nobody to die left that was perfect for Adam's sin. So here's what the Bible says. That clothing that God made for us, it would wear out. That clothing was meant to cover our shame, but it would wear again, and shame would continue to pile on. That animal would never atone for the life of a perfect man. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that law made the sacrifices. And those sacrifices was a regular reminder of our sin, but it couldn't take it away. So here's what God did in Genesis 3.15. He said, I'm going to send a son. He told the serpent, he said, serpent, there's going to be one born of a woman, not a man, a woman. And he's going to come, and he's going to crush you on the head, and you'll bruise him on the heel. From the very beginning, God has made a promise to cover us. And number four, how did he get that son here? He chose, number four, a man of faith. He picked out a man named Abraham, a man of faith. You see, man could never do enough to earn back what he'd lost. So God, in his infinite grace, chose a man that did nothing for him. It was never by works. It was always by faith through the grace of God. God chose a man who would turn back to his voice. Just like Adam and Eve had turned away, he chose a man who would obey God's word once again and trust that his word provided every good thing. Somebody say good thing. That his word provides every good thing. His word provides purpose. It provides pleasure. It provides power. 
And Abraham believed God and left his place, going to a place in a city he did not know. And he followed God's Spirit by faith, and he got to that promised land. And Genesis 22, 2 says, Now take now your son, your only son whom you love. His name was what? Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, which is actually the Temple Mount today, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, you know the story? Abraham in chapter 22, verse 10, he stretches out his hand. He takes the knife to slay his son. But at this very moment, an angel calls and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't kill the kid, right? And he takes, uh, he says, here I am. He says, don't stretch out your hand to take the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. Here it is. Because you have not withheld. The Greek word there is the same for what we read in Romans, spared. You have not spared. You have not withheld your son your only son from me. Verse 13 says, Then Abraham looked up, behold, behold. Somebody say, behold. Ah, behold. And behind him was what? A ram caught in a thicket. And you know what he named that place? You know what he named that place? Abraham, ugh, he called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. You see, God would provide a son for you and for me. A perfect son. Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord our provider. He said, Abraham, you didn't withhold your son from me, but let me tell you something. I'm not going to withhold my son from you. I'll provide you the covering. I'll bail you out. I'll cover your sin. It'll be a permanent shame that never goes away. It'll be a permanent sacrifice. All this works will be done. I'll make a new testament. This testament was born in the, in the things of animals and death. It never atoned for sin. But this new last will and testament, well, it'll be the final thing, man. It'll be the final thing. This last will and testament will be paid for, not in the death of you or your sons or your grandsons, but it'll be the death of my son. My last will and testament will be written with my son's own blood. You see, like Isaac, God's son would be a miracle son of promise. Like Isaac, he'd be persecuted by his brothers, but loved by his father. It was like Isaac. Isaac walked with his father up to that mountain. Jesus would walk with his father up to that place. See, Isaac went up between two servants. Jesus went up between two criminals. Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders up that mountain, and Jesus carried the wood of his cross to that mountain. Isaac laid himself down willingly. Jesus laid himself down willingly. You see, Isaac was saved by a lamb, but God's son would be the lamb that saved us all. The Lord will provide a son. Jehovah Jireh. You see, number five, God gave a son. Paul says it was at the right time God sent his son under the law that he might redeem everybody and call them adopted sons and daughters. You know that for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Paul says not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the appeasement for our sin. And so we know the virgin came with child, and we called him Emmanuel. Get this, God with us. What was God in Genesis? God with us. He was God with us. We walked away from him. He's always been walking towards us. He became God with us. When you couldn't get closer to God, God was willing to get closer to you. You think God is withholding something good from you? You think with God is withholding some good thing from you? 
You see, I love Hebrews 10.5. It says that when Christ came into the world, here's what he said to God. He said, Father, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. I'll be Isaac. I'll be the son. I'll cover their mistakes. I'll write this testament in my own blood. Father, if it's your will, let it pass. But Lord, not my will, but your will. And he gave his life. The Bible says he gave it when you were still a sinner. He died for you on that very mountain. At 3 p.m., God abandoned his son to death, turned his back on his own son. He cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace became upon him. He bore the load. You see, God did not spare his son in order to spare you. God did not spare his son because he wanted to spare you. What does that say about you and what God thinks of you? One author said he didn't think of Christ too precious a gift to give for the salvation of our pitiful souls. So now you know that God absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, loves you. Because if God did not withhold his son from you, his only son, you can never say, I don't know if God loves me. You see, God gave his son number five, number six, and that son, he won our victory. Acts 2.24 says, But God raised him up again, putting to end the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. And God raised him up for us. God raised him up for us. So Paul says, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in him have a surety that he, the first man, became a new Adam. And while Adam and everything from one man's disobedience brought death, from one man's obedience now brought life and righteousness and justification. And if you come under the born-again relationship with Jesus, you're not born under Adam and his death, but you're born under Christ and his new life. There's a new lineage. There's a new spiritual DNA. And, and how do you know this? Paul says, if you believe that God raised Jesus up from the dead, you can believe he'll raise you up too because the same Holy Spirit that was in him and raised him up from the grave is now living in your mortal bodies and will raise up your mortal body on that last day as well. Paul says he became the first fruit. He became the testimony. If Jesus had just died and gone to heaven, you'd have no hope. But the fact that he became a man as we are a man and he died for us and he rose for us, you'll rise with him too. That's the gospel. He won our victory. And lastly, he became our reward. Romans 8, 31. Let's go back to our main text again before we close. Romans 8, 31, verse and 31 and 32. It says, so I'm going to add that first verse in there. It says, so what shall you say for all these things now? What are you going to say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's the verse. So because he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's those good things. Now, if you're looking for things outside of God, that's not good things. But every good thing comes from God. He's the father of light, James said. Every good thing, that's that pleasure. True pleasure, true purpose, true power is all we found in God. 
You're going to try to find it somewhere else, it's going to be outside the things of God. But everything you're longing for, listen to me, every good thing you could ever need in your life is found when you behold the Son. God withholds no good thing from you. If you behold the Son, you'll find perfect pleasure in this life. You'll find perfect power in this life. You'll find perfect love, good love, good power, good pleasure. In a married relationship, you'll find the right pleasure. Come on, somebody. In your work, you will find power, not in your identity in this life. You'll find it in Him. You'll find purpose in Him. You'll find the power and the authority that you were made to have in God. He says, all authority I'm giving to you. You can trample on snakes and scorpions and don't worry about all the powers of the enemy. But get, get out of that. Your names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. Ha <laughs> ha. Wow. Right? Wow. This is what you're made for. Be in a perfect. God has been trying to get you to himself since creation. And some of y'all keep running from him. He has sent his only son to die for you just to get you into this perfect union with him, his son, and his spirit to give you purpose and power and the pleasures of his kingdom in your heart. And we keep looking in all these places, in entertainment and television, relationship, we try to find it in every broken place, in every dark place, in every dark corner. We get on our phones, we look for pleasure and identity and purpose and power. We get in our workplace, we try to find it in our work ethic and our power. We find relationship to relationship and try to find all these things Money, addiction, all the things the world has to offer. Satan says, don't you think, don't you think God's still holding back on you? Those church people, they don't get it. They ain't got what you got. Go find it over here. Put a little coin in here. Put a little money in here. Send a little text to this person. Find this over here. Check out that movie. Man, you just need to take a break. Go do this. Go do. He's like whispering. Same lie from the very beginning. Find what you're looking for outside of God. But God withholds no good thing from those who behold His Son by the painting. By the painting. I don't care how much you got. Whatever ounce you have of energy and vitality in you, God says He has got a measure of faith given to every person. And if you just put that little faith into Jesus, whatever it is, you'll move mountains. You'll see strongholds break. You'll just take that little ounce of faith and just start beholding Jesus. I don't care if you're broke, you're worried, you're worn out, you ain't got nothing in the, in the bank account, you ain't nobody likes you, you've done written so many hot checks and gotten so many people on your bad side, you've been in and out of jail. I don't care if you think you're the best, most powerful, beautiful person in the world. Whatever you got, you put it into Jesus, you'll find everything you need. Everything you need is only after you behold the Son. The treasures of heaven are for you. He's never withheld himself from us. That's a lie from the devil. God sent his Son, not sparing. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God sent his Son, not sparing. How will he not with him?